Welcome to Move by Grace, the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel in Cambridge, Ohio. You're here with us this morning, um, and I just want to say again, thank you to, there he is, uh, Caleb uh, for filling in for us, and Elena. Um, we got the word this week that Brent and Hannah and Roger are all on quarantine, and they just stepped right in, uh, praise the Lord. I want to thank you all, too, for understanding where we are as a church with wearing masks. You've been doing a great job, and we appreciate this. I love seeing you face-to-face and being together, and I appreciate your work in making sure that we are following that from our elders. All right, we need to turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 20, and while you're doing that, let me just say um, about this reverse Advent calendar. You know, it's one of our things at our church that we want to do is seek the welfare of the community in which God has placed us. And uh, part of the thing that we have done with a huge blessing to our, our community is this reverse Advent calendar. And so 20 is a big goal. My wife and I have taken on two boxes this year. So if you can increase, uh, that'd be great and help us reach that goal. It's really Maybe if you start to price it all out, maybe $20 at Christmas time, you already spend more on your spouse and your children, so why not spend it on some folks in the community and double your output? Let's hit that goal of 20 and, uh, and get that to our community. Um, all right? Oh, come on. That was a little weak. All right? All right. Are we there? Are we, are we, are we at Revelation chapter 20? Okay. Well, we've been studying the book of Revelation for an entire year. And it seemed like it hit its impact last week at the return of Jesus Christ at the Battle of Armageddon. Now what? What happens next? What a moment that must have been. What a moment that will be. This is a culmination of our wants and our desires and our prayers. Did you realize that? What we we looked at last week was a culmination of our desires, our prayers. We had the opportunity a couple weeks ago to have uh, dinner at, at the uh, McElwain's house. And one of the young, young girls who's going to be baptized here very soon led the prayer. And she said these words, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. You guys know what I'm going to say next? What's next? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught the disciples to pray for his kingdom to come. Throughout all of eternity, the saints have been praying, Father in heaven, your kingdom come as earth as it is in heaven. This is that moment. I asked our small group this week, uh, what do you guys know about after Armageddon? What, what, do, you, what do you know about the, what we will call the millennial kingdom? And I got a lot of blank stares back at me. Like, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to say the wrong thing. So what do you think about the millennial kingdom and reign of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ? I've said it before and I'll say it again. I love the Bible. Amen? You love the Bible? I love the Bible, and here's one of the reasons I love the Bible, because in the Bible, God tells us everything he's going to do. And then when he does it, we're like blown away that he just did that, right? It goes all the way back to Genesis, uh, and he says, shall I not tell Abraham what I'm about to do? 
And he tells them. And it has been the story of the Bible that God shows us and tells us and we're blown away. Yet, the rule and the reign of Christ is often a mystery. And praise God, he gives us Revelation chapter 20, 21, and 22 to let us know that nothing ever needs to be a mystery. Ever. In fact, say that with me. No mystery. Now, I mean, some of you might have just said that because I asked you to, and I appreciate that, but maybe you still have a question in your mind. God is going to show us in the word of God the reign of Christ, the rebellion of Satan, the remaking of heaven and earth and the eternal state for everyone of all times. And isn't that good news? Don't we need some good news these days? And you don't have to worry about your eternal state, church. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to wonder about what's coming next. All our hearts should say, hallelujah. So we're going to look at five questions today about the earthly reign of Jesus Christ. And it's wrapped around this hub. If you're writing a hub, what's the hub of this message, Nate? What's this really about? Here's the hub of the message. The reign of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Anybody want to know about that? I want to know about that. It was filled up in that last song we just sang. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. He rules the world with truth and grace. So here are the questions. Here are the five questions we're going to get at today. We're going to look at the text then and uh, get into the passage and get into the word. Question number one is how long will, will he reign? Question number two is where will he reign? Question number three is who does he reign with or over? And question number four is what is the reign of, of Christ like? We're going to spend a lot of time on that. And question number five is, who will ever come against his reign? And so uh, let's read the passage and launch into the entirety of the Bible to get some of these answers, okay? So let's begin with verse one. You following along? You following along? All right, here we go. If you're visiting with us today, uh, I I do ask a lot of questions and it really helps me when you answer. So I'm sorry if that makes you um, uncomfortable. Then I saw, let's start, stop there. This is a continuation statement here. He said it from chapter 17 now through chapter 20. He'll say it all the way through until the end of chapter 20. It's a continuation of prior thought. Uh, Previously Armageddon. Previously before that Jesus returned. Previously before that the view of the bride and the groom. Previously before that the worship of heaven. Previously before that the destruction of evil in Babylon. The destruction of religion, the destruction of commercial enterprise, the destruction of politics. So this is one continuation of a theme. Then I saw, what did John see? An angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hands the key to the bottomless pit and the great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now look at verse 2 for a second. There is like more about Satan in that statement than anywhere else in Scripture. Calls him the, the dragon. He's evil. The ancient serpent going all the way back to Eden. Calls him the accuser by calling him the devil. He calls him the adversary by calling him Satan. But he is now bound for a thousand years. And threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him. So that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. 
Now, there's so much there that we're going we're gonna to talk about that next week. We're going to talk about the millennial kingdom this week. We're going to come back to this next week. Continuation statement. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been headed for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast nor its image and had not received its mark on their forehead or their hands. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years was ended. This was the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they are priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. All right, so that's our text. Our key point in this text is going to be verses 4 through 6. Let's get into our questions. I told you this. Let's get into our questions here. Are you ready? All right, so Father, we just pray that you will help us illuminate your word. In Jesus' name we pray. How long will this rain be? How long will this rain be? I mean, it's, it's in the text five times. If we include verse 7, six times, how long will it be? I heard it over here somewhere. I believe it was the Dr. Davis said it. A thousand years. Did somebody say that's a long time? It's a long time. Verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7. In theological terms, we call this the millennial kingdom because the word itself in Latin means a thousand years. And it's not actually in the Bible like the word rapture is not in the Bible. But in the Latin, it is there. Thousand uh, being the first part of the word and then a year's the second part. Together, a thousand years. So church historians have called this the millennial reign of Christ. Now, I want you to understand something, church. There are many views about the kingdom of G- and reign of Jesus. And even at the end of this, you may still have a different view than me. I just encourage you to search the scriptures. I want you to understand, church, what we believe here as elders and what we post in our doctrinal statement about the interpretation of the word of God and further what we believe about the relationship of that interpretation of scripture to the future reign of Jesus Christ. So... I've studied and was trained on a method of hermeneutics um, called grammatical historical hermeneutics. All right? I I believe in a lot of a literal uh, translation of the Scripture. Hermeneutics is the study of the Bible. It's a really big word. It means the study of the Bible. Grammatical is our interpretation must correspond with the word or the grammar in the text. Historical means that the Bible was written to common people. And understandable to anybody. The word of God should be understandable, amen? However, it was written a thousand years ago to a different culture. So we have to understand historically what the readers might be going through, recover the general sense of the meaning of the word. That's why I often go back to, in the Greek it means this. Because over 2,000 years it's changed. In the Hebrew it means this. Because historically this was something that was happening. One more thing about this foundation of hermeneutics and the breakdown of the Bible. I believe that God wrote one book. Many authors. But it's in complete harmony. That's the beauty. This book is in complete harmony about the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, his redemption, 
Therefore, all the book must be used to interpret. We cannot interpret something that is in direct conflict with another part of the Bible. Do you understand that? Like, we might say, well, we read it this way without doing any study of it. But if it's in contrast to 99.99% of the Bible, then that's wrong. That's your interpretation. Listen, I wrote this on the screen for you guys. Our goal is to interpret Scripture in harmony with the rest of other Scripture. No passage stands on its own. All this to say, here at Harvest Bible Chapel, we believe, I'm going to write this out here for you, in the pre-tribulation rapture of the saints. Now don't, if you don't believe in that, I, okay, we can still be in fellowship together. We believe in the premillennial return of our Messiah, Jesus Christ, here on earth to rule and reign with the saints. But like I said, not everybody believes that. One of my good friends that I meet with uh, weekly, um, we, a pastor in the area, we just get together and pray, a couple of us. Uh, we started this back in March at the park, and we've just continued it. But uh, we've had conversations after that prayer time for hours, and we, are, we differ on our views of end time things, but he's a beloved brother in Christ, and I love to have that fellowship with him. But here at HBC, we believe it's our determination that the grammatical historical interpretation of the Bible leads us to a premillennial view of end time things. And you might be great because you don't really have a proper understanding of what that means. And you might be, well, I might not be on the same page. That's okay. Follow along. We can talk offline afterwards, if you'd like, for hours. But let me give you the three popular views right now. Maybe you fall into one of these camps before we get into the rest of the questions here. Obviously, the view that I've mentioned, the premillennial view, believes that the reign of Jesus will be a literal thing, as recorded in Revelation 19 and 20, as recorded in Zechariah 14, as recorded in Isaiah 9. Literally, Literal is the key word. Now there's another view called post-millennial view, which spiritualizes the reign of Jesus. Jesus never really came to earth, but that the church will usher in the kingdom. And there are many preachers, especially in the 1800s, late 1700s, 1800s, and early 1900s that had this view. It coincided with a lot of revival that was going on around the world. And that Christians were going to so influence society that they would usher in the kingdom of God. And many people still hold to that view. Brothers and sisters in Christ. And then there's the amillennial view. Amillennial view is also a spiritualized view, not a literal view. In other words, they spiritualize the fact of the kingdom versus an illiteral view that Jesus actually, when Zacharias says he stepped on the Mount of Olives and it split in two and there was a great earthquake and it led to the battle, that he actually did that. Whereas a uh, amillennial view uh, believes in a spiritualized, no millennial kingdom, that this is a period of Christ's reign that began when he ascended over 2,000 years ago. Now granted, those are short versions, and, and if I didn't include some of your 12 points that you had in one of those different views, I understand. We can talk online. I don't want this message to be about these views. I want to press on. Why do you say that the reign of Jesus will be 1,000 years? Well, let me give you a few reasons why I believe in this premillennial view. I've already stated reason number one. The Bible is one book. And as we look at 
this, we have to understand. If we spiritualize a text, what do you do with the text that we're going to look at today from the Old Testament? God wrote a book and it fits neatly together. And when we look at it, we go, oh. Secondly, the grammatical historical interpretation of the Bible leads us to a literal reign of Jesus here on earth. That's not my view. That's a view of many authors, including authors from the amillennial camp and the postmillennial camp. Uh, Floyd Hamilton, amillennialist, and uh, Lorraine Botler, a proponent of postmillennial, in separate writings both said the same thing. If you take a literal interpretation of the Old Testament and Revelation, they do foretell of the restoration of Israel and the earthly literal reign of Jesus Christ. Numbers, here's the third thing. Numbers and Revelation are never spiritualized. They're exact things. I want you to understand that. When John says seven churches, there were seven churches. When John said seven candlestands, there were seven candlestands. When he said seven bowls, seven trumpets, seven seals, those were exact numbers. When he said three angels, when he said three woes, when he said 144,000, when he said 12,000 from this tribe, 12, these were literal numbers. When he said myriads of myriads and peoples from every tribe, tongue, and nation, he couldn't count that high. It was too much for him. But when he gave a literal number, it meant a literal thing. And when he lists it six times, he's trying to tell us something. Jewish scholars who have also studied the Old Testament came up with this number before the New Testament was ever written. Did you realize that? People that wrote the Talmud, prior to the Old Testament being written, the New Testament being written, studied the Old Testament and came up with the fact that a thousand-year reign would be the reign of Jesus Christ. So authors outside of the Bible came up with this. And lastly, it's the most logical answer to the prophecies of the Old Testament and Messiah's earthly reign. Take, for instance, Isaiah 9. I mentioned that. We study that a lot at Christmas time. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7 says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So Isaiah is saying, there's a reign coming of Jesus. It didn't happen during the first time that he came. Notice what the angel said to Mary. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus in Luke 1, 30, uh, 31 and 32. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and he, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. Now just quickly, did that happen when he came the first time? No. Is it, is it going to happen? Yes. Is it happening now? No. Well, where will he reign, Nate? Where will he reign? Well, if we looked at our text from last week, we see that Jesus comes again, riding on a white horse, his armies behind him. Zechariah 14 tells us that he actually steps on the earth. Let's study the text. He steps on the Mount of Olives. Psalm 72 says this, All the kings shall fall down before him. All the nations will serve him. So where will he reign? On the earth. 
Verse 16 tells us of, of Zechariah 14 that he will actually be in Jerusalem, which will now dwell in security. And yearly, all the nations will come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths. He will be the king. In fact, if you've ever read the book of Ezekiel, I know that's a stretch, but I know the guys in my small group have read it. Chapters 40 through 48. Chapters 40 through 48 cover the millennial temple. And it's interesting, in chapter 43 of Ezekiel, it's listed as the place where Jesus will rule. In chapter 43 of Ezekiel, verse 7, it says, Son of man, this is the place of my throne, the place of the soles of my feet. Now listen, no, God, no one has seen God at any time and lived, right? Scripture says he dwells in unapproachable light. So that what we see now in this veiled glory of God is Jesus Christ, who is the soles of the feet of our God. And it goes on to say, I will dwell in the midst of my people forever. In Psalm 2, he said, the Lord said to Jesus, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possessions, and you shall break them with the rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. So all that to say, listen, all that to say, how long is the reign of Jesus going to be? A thousand years. Where is it going to be? Here on earth. Verse 4 gives us another unanswered question, though. Notice with me, look at verse 4. I want you to underline a word for me. Then I saw thrones... And seated on them were those. I want you to underline that word, those. There's, there's thrones here, plural. And there's people seated on them. Who are these people? Who is ruling and reigning with Jesus? Now, maybe you know. But hold your horses. We want to see what the word of God says. Amen? So, who does Jesus reign with? And who does he or they reign over? That's the question number three. And because we're thankful for one book, amen, that gives us the answer. Daniel chapter 7. Let's begin with this. Daniel chapter 7, verse 27. All right, write that down. You can look it up. I'm going to read the verse for you. Daniel 7, 27 says, Then the sovereignty and the dominion and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole of heaven will be given to the people, listen, of the saints of the highest one. His dominion, his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey him. So, group number one, under the heading, who's those, who are they that sits on these thrones, according to Daniel chapter seven, are the people of the saints of God. Old Testament saints, as you read through the Old Testament, Ruth, Boaz, Adam, Seth, Abel, Daniel, David, Samuel, Samson, the judges, Old Testament saints that believed by faith will rule and reign with Jesus. That's good news. But it doesn't stop there. One book. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus speaking to his disciples. Matthew chapter 19, verse 29. Jesus said, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, all in favor of that, that's right. When the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you shall also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left the houses, or brothers, or sisters, or fathers, or mothers, or children, or uh, families, for my name's sake, shall receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. 
Now we have another list. We have Old Testament saints, and now we have the disciples and those that followed Jesus during his earthly ministry. Mary, Martha, the Marys, Mark, Nicodemus. So now we have Old Testament saints and them. But the list continues. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul's talking to the New Testament church, right? And he's talking specifically to the Corinthian church, and he's kind of chastising them in this moment, but he makes a statement here in chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. He says, do you not know that the saints, point to yourself, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Then he goes, but do you not know you will judge angels? So, so now all of a sudden the picture is becoming a little bit clearer. We have Old Testament saints, the apostles, the church. And there's one more group that's in our text today that's listed that will rule and reign with Christ. Verses 2, 3, and 5 mention, our chapters 2, 3, and 5 mention the church will reign with him. In fact, verse 5 says, Chapter 5, excuse me, verse 10 says that they will make us a kingdom and a priest to our gods and we will reign on the earth. But that other group is listed here in this text at the end of the tribulation. Then I saw thrones and seated on them are those, Old Testament, apostles, church, to whom authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus. When did that happen? Someone say, during the tribulation. During the tribulation, I saw the souls of those that had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. And they came to life and reigned with Christ. For how long? A thousand years. Tribulation saints as well. So, one of the reasons I believe in a literal hermeneutic here is that this has not happened. There's not been a time when all of the Old Testament saints, when all the New Testament saints, when all the tribulation saints have gathered together and reigned with Christ. John MacArthur in my studies this week had this statement because maybe you're, the question is, what are, what are we doing? Right? MacArthur said all of the world leaders, all of the governors, all of the prime ministers, all of the potentates, the judges, the chiefs of police, all those who are responsible for education, all those responsible for judicial processes, responsible for legislation, all who are responsible for everything that is going on across the face of the earth will be the saints who have the delegated authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to carry out his will everywhere. You're going to be busy. You're going to be busy for a thousand years. Well, who, Nate? Who? Tell me, Pastor. Who are we ruling and reigning over? The answer? The sheep. The sheep. What do you mean? Like, bah, no. Matthew 25. Jesus is talking about this time period. And in Matthew 25, verse 31, he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, we looked at that last week, and when he sits on his glorious throne, Matthew 19, before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one from another as a shepherd separate, separate excuse me, the sheep from the goats. I'll just ask you a question. Are you a sheep or are you a goat this morning? Don't answer that out loud. 
Then he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Verse 34 says, Then the king will say to those who are on his right, Come into my kingdom. You're blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. But later on in verse 41, he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for devil and his angels. So who are these people on his right that come into his kingdom? Well, the answer is those that have survived the tribulation and Armageddon. Not all humanity dies. We've talked about like four billion people if we did the math today, according to going through all of that tribulation period of people that died. And it's only half. Still some survive. Remember the Israel, there is a, there is a remnant that God has, has hidden away. Remember there are people from all corners of the world who have not taken the mark, the 144,000 have led a great revival. And they are the sheep. And yet there are others who have worshipped the beast, who have taken the mark, who have fallen down before the idol, who have been deceived, and they will come before him. And they're goats. And they will not enter into his kingdom. And so we have rulers and those that will be ruled over, the nations. But the overarching question that I want to answer today is what will that reign be like? Have you guys thought about that? It's a political time of year. We've, we've kind of gone through that. We're still going through it depending on what news station you watch. It's a political time of year. People are still running for office. What will the reign of the king of kings be like? Are you even interested? Men, look up here, men. Do you care about what the reign of Jesus will be like here on earth? Have you studied it? Have you told your family of it? I'm just going to give you five things about the reign of Jesus. And here's the hope. Here's the hope that it gives you hope that it gives you great hope that you can endure tribulation and suffering for his name's sake. All right? So remember those staggering statistics that we gave last week about the Bible, that over 1,800 plus verses talk about the kingdom, the second coming of Jesus in the Bible, that 17 Old Testament books talk about the second coming of Jesus in the Bible and his kingdom, that one of every seven verses talks about the second coming or the kingdom of Jesus here on earth. That one in seven chapters in the New Testament talk about the second coming or the, the earthly reign of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. That Jesus didn't talk about it one time, didn't talk about it two times, didn't talk about it six times, but 21 times Jesus talked about the kingdom that was to come. And that the Bible is so filled up with the second coming that is second only to faith as we look at this scripture. So if we're going to look, listen, look up here. If we're going to look at all those texts and get done before Christmas Eve service, we better get started, right? All in favor of doing that today? Well, I got some food on. All right, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll minimize it. I'm going to give you these five, but I just want you to know there's so much more. I'm going to paint with a broad brush. 
But as you study this, there's so much more. We know that the mountains have been brought low. We know that the islands are gone. Zechariah tells us that every place around Jerusalem was a broad plain. All right, so we're picturing that. Jerusalem is lifted high, according to Zechariah 14. Everything around it is a flat plain. Okay? And we've gathered there at the end of the tribulation judgments, and the earth will not be the same. I mean, think about that. The bold judgments alone have destroyed the oceans, the mountains, the islands, earthquake, pummeled hailstone, the great battle of Armageddon. Grass will be all burnt up. No ocean life will be left. All fresh water contaminated. It doesn't seem like a place that you'd want to set up your kingdom, right? But he's making all things new. Jeremiah in his, uh, excuse me, Dr. David Jeremiah, big difference, in his book of, uh, the book of signs listed five things that we need to know about this kingdom. So I want to encourage you with them. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Time that we have remaining and then a little bit beyond that. The kingdom of Jesus will be, ready? Here's the first thing. The kingdom of Jesus will be a time of peace. The kingdom of Jesus will be all in favor of peace, right? Psalm 72 says, In that day my righteousness will flourish and peace will abound till the moon will be no more. Micah 4, verses 2 and 3. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord will come from Jerusalem. And he shall judge between many peoples, and he shall decide disputes for the strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Now, do you know this? Maybe you don't. Maybe you've heard this statistic before. But they've traced back to 3000 B.C. from there to present day, and there has only been little under 300 years of peace where there was no nation fighting another nation. There was no war. In that Serious amount of time. For a thousand years, there will be peace. And you want to go sit under a tree? Go sit under a tree. You want to enjoy your vine? Enjoy your vine. You want to be an awesome gardener? Take your sword and beat it into a plowshare. Because you won't need it anymore. I love what Isaiah said. Just to kind of give you an idea of how much peace there will be. Isaiah 11 said, in the kingdom of God, the wolf will dwell with the lamb. Notice it didn't say eat the lamb there. It said the wolf will dwell with the lamb, that the leopard will lie down with the young goat, that the calf and the lion and the fatted calf will be together. Isaiah 11, 6 through 9. And a little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. I love this. The nursing child will play over the hole of a cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. That's another poisonous snake. And they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. 
For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as water covers the sea. That's an amazing time of peace. Even the animal kingdom is at peace. Isaiah 65, verse 25 says, The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. The dust will be the serpent's food. For they will harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. The kingdom of Jesus will be a time of peace. But not just a time of peace. The kingdom of Jesus will be a time of prosperity. The kingdom of Jesus will be a time of prosperity. Ezekiel 34 says this, Ezekiel 34, 26 and 27. I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down showers in their seasons. And they shall be called showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And the earth shall yield its increase. And they shall be secure in the land. And they shall know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel 36 says this, I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit tree, the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant that you may never suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Prosperity. Like, you're going to have bread to eat? You're going to have fruit to eat? Amos, Pastor Jeremiah is going to speak on that in a couple weeks. Amos chapter 9 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper, when the treader of grapes will uh, him who sows seed, and the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the earth shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined city and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens, and they shall eat their fruit. Peace. Prosperity. But also the kingdom of God is a time of purity. By purity, I mean holiness. Consider what the Old Testament says in Isaiah 66. From new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. He's saying month to month, week to week, people will be concerned about worship. And it won't matter how I tell them to come to worship. In fact, if Jesus said wear a mask, pretty sure we'll have them on, right? Zechariah 13 says this, On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more. And I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirits of uncleanliness. Let's just look at these three. Just real quick, it's a time of purity. Our religion, our focus in worship is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's a time that he will prosper the earth. That the earth will no longer be burnt up grass and dead fish everywhere and bodies. But it will be a time of prosperity and it will be a time of peace. All in favor of that? And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're ruling and reigning with him during this time. Number four, the kingdom of Jesus will be a time of prolonged life. Those that come into his kingdom, the nations, will live many for a thousand years. The kingdom of Jesus will be a time of prolonged life. Where does that come from? Well, um, Isaiah 65. 
Isaiah 65, verse 20, and we're going to go through verse 23, if you're taking notes and you want to look at this later. Isaiah says, Never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. I have an aunt, she's not here this morning, but she's 90 plus years old. I'm not calling her a mere child. But in the kingdom of God, the one who who lives to be a hundred will be called a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered a curse. Well, what will it be like? Well, they will build houses and they will dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and they will eat. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the day of the tree, so will be the day of my people, my chosen ones, will long, well, excuse me, will enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, they will not, uh, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be my people, blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. You see that? They build a house and they live in it for a thousand years. We live in a house that was built by the DeLucas, a couple that I never met. They both passed away. This was their house. They built it. They planted an apple tree in the backyard. And he ate some of the fruit, but I ate some of that fruit. And I live in his house now, but that won't happen here. Not according to the word of the Lord. Men and women will live long life. The nations will bear children. And how quickly do you think the earth will repopulate? when the nations are bearing children. With us today are the very esteemed Dr. And Nancy, uh, Dr. Jerry and Nancy Davis. Now, they raised six kids. They were married, raised six children. All six of their children are married. All six of their children have kids. And after 55 years, they have 25 grandchildren and two great-grandchildren so far. I'm not saying anything there. Yet, can you imagine? That's just a fraction of 55 years. And yet, men and women will continue to still, in that period, continue to have children long into, now ladies, don't hate me now, long into the hundreds and two hundreds. And for 500 years, I've been given birth to children. Can you imagine how the world will repopulate? It'll be a place of peace. No wonder men will love to garden. <laughs> They've got so many kids. It'll look, like a gar- it'll look like the Garden of Eden. Men will live like Adam. The earth will be repopulated. And the glory of the Lord will show forth. What have we seen so far? All in favor of this kingdom coming? It's a time of peace. It's a time of prosperity. It's a time of purity. Our thoughts are are just of him and of holiness. And it's a time of prolonged life. But lastly, it's a time of personal joy. It's a time of personal joy. Here at Harvest, we believe that joy in the Scripture means, means this, a supernatural delight in the person of God. We're worshiping him. In the purposes of God, that this is His kingdom that has come and His will that will be done and in the people of God. Joy is a supernatural light in the person of God, the purposes of God, and the people of God. And the world will be at rest and life of the believer will be filled with overwhelming joy 
Isaiah was quite thorough and comprehensive in that. He gave us four statements in the book of Isaiah. The first one's found in chapter 9, verse 3. He says, you have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. Therefore, rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divided the soil, spoil, excuse me, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulders and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken them. You have multiplied the nations. You've increased their joy, Isaiah said. In chapter 12, verse 3, he says this, with joy you will draw waters from the well of salvation. Isaiah 14, verse 7 says, the whole earth is at rest and quiet. Some of you are thinking, I just wish I could get that at my house. And the whole earth breaks forth into singing. What do you mean, Nate? Well, he goes on to say, the cypress rejoices. Yeah, I'll know what a cypress is, right? That's a tree. And the cedars of Lebanon saying, no woodcutter comes up against us. So even the trees are rejoicing. And then Isaiah 7, uh, Isaiah 25, verses 7 through 9. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all his people a feast of rich food. I underline that. A feast of well-aged wine. Of rich food full of marrow. I just, I think, I see that and I think that's not vegetarian. Of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on that mountain the covering that has cast over all people, the veil that has spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. All in favor? And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reports of his people will be taken away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Now listen, and then it will be said, let us rejoice and be glad in him. (laughs) It's no small sampling of Old Testament texts here. There's, There's so much more. This is just a little piece but it tells us of the kingdom of Jesus that is to come. And I want to be part of that. You want to be part of that? You want to live in a place that's a place of peace, that's a place of prosperity, that's a place of joy, prolonged life, that's a place of purity. That's what what the kingdom of Jesus will look like according to the Bible. Well, who will come against this reign? Well, we began with the first three verses. That answer is pretty simple, by the way. Back to the text. For a thousand years, where's the devil? The devil's bound, right? We're going to talk about that next week. Where's the beast? He's in hell with the false prophet. Hell, by the way, isn't Satan's world headquarters right now. Just want you to understand that. He's not down there planning stuff. Hell is waiting for him. It's a place he's trying not to go, and one day the beast and the false prophet will be the first ones thrown into it. But he will go there. Right now it says in that time period of the reign of Jesus, he will be bound. Well, some will say, we're binding Satan now. No, you're not. No, you're not. He's active. Peter says, 
Beware the devil that is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour you. That's not bound. But one day he will be bound for a thousand years. And where are the goats? They're to go away in eternal punishment, according to Matthew chapter 5. Death and Hades will have the wicked. The devil is bound. Evil is no more. Here's the question. Who's going to come against his reign? What's the answer? Nobody. Nada. Zero. Zip. For a thousand years. That's why Isaiah 2 says he will judge between the nations. He will decide disputes. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hicks. The nations will not lift up sword against nation, and there will be no more war. How long will Jesus reign? A thousand years. Is it literal? I believe so. Where? Here on earth. With who? The saints. Over who? Those who did not take the mark of the beast nor worship the idol of the beast. And what will it be like? It'll be a time of peace. It'll be a time of prosperity. It'll be a time of prolonged life, purity, and holiness. Every year, people will go up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths. There will be sacrifices and festivals and joy. Listen, it will be Jesus' utopia. His kingdom will have come. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Back um, in the 17th century, there was a worship leader, though they didn't go by that name at the time, who wrote a song that was not widely accepted by the Church of England. The Church of England only sang psalms. And there are some churches that still only sing psalms today. But the thought of singing a hymn to them was probably what the 90s was for for many of the church when we did blended worship or Worship songs, they didn't like it. Yet Isaac Watts believed in singing hymns as well as psalms. So Isaac Watt, a picture of him on the screen here today, um, wrote a little song called Joy to the World. Now, it was written about Psalms 98. As he read Psalms 98, he was overcome, and he wanted to write a hymn about that. We sing it at Christmas time. But can I be honest with you? It's not a Christmas song. It it has nothing to do with Christmas. Let's, Let's just look at the lyrics. And you tell me what we're describing. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let all their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains, when we just studied this, repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow, Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as, far as the curse is found. Here it is. He rules the world. 
in truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders, wonders, wonders of his love. Joy, unspeakable joy, overflowing well. No tongue can tell. Joy unspeakable, joy rises in my soul, never lets me go. When I think about the reign of Jesus Christ. How about you? Man, I challenged you at the beginning. What do you know about the millennial kingdom? Are you sharing it with your family? Are you ready for it? What idol do you need to, man, what idol do you need to set aside right now? Our worship team's coming. They're going to close the final song, but maybe you need to be thinking about what idol do you need to set aside right now, men? And focus on the King of Kings who's promised us, men, peace and joy and purity. And we, as the church, will rule and reign with Him for a thousand years. Ladies, the question's the same for you. Does the thought of the second coming of Jesus and his kingdom being set up offer you overwhelming joy? Teens. The reality is it could be today, teens. Are you ready? Are you ready? The reality is it's available for all who call on the name of the Lord for salvation. So look up here. Have you done that? That's the scripture right there. These are the promises that he's made. This thought of ruling and reigning with Christ, which he told his church in chapters 2 and 3, in chapter 5 of Revelation. Ruling and reigning with him. That gives me hope. That gives me joy. That gives me peace because of his love. But if you're here without him, those are empty promises to you because you don't quite understand. So I'm asking you today, would you confess your sin before him? Would you call out to him for salvation? Would today be the day of your salvation? Would you come and join us in the joy that we have in Jesus? Joy to the world, church. The Lord has come. Let's, uh, let's just pray. And if you're here without Jesus, pray with me to call on him and invite him into your heart. Invite him into your life. He's calling out to you. Let's bow our heads and and close our eyes in this moment. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Blown away by the complexity, yet the simplicity of your word. Blown away by the truth that you are 
drawing all things to a close one day, and it may be soon. And you will hear our prayers and answer them that your kingdom will come, your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we are thankful, we are grateful for this truth. We are blown away, more importantly, by your love, your love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, you tell us in your word, you sent your son to die for us. While we were still afar off, you saw and ran towards us. And you offered us eternal life through Jesus Christ. The scripture says that all of us have sinned, God, and we know that. We sin every day. All of us have fallen short of your glory. And that's what condemns us to death and hell. But yet through Jesus Christ, you have given us the gift of eternal life. So Father, I pray that we would rejoice in that for those of us that have come into your kingdom this way. We rejoice in that, but also for those, Father, that are here, even now, struggling with salvation. Father, would would you make it clear? That this is the way that we come into your kingdom. This is the way. Father, would you save them in this moment? Would they simply just cry out to you for salvation? Your word tells us in Romans 10 that if we call on your name, that that salvation has, has come through Jesus Christ. If we cry out for it, you will in no wise cast us out. You will hear us and save us. That all who call on your name will be saved. And so we ask that they would do it now. Thank you for the joy that you give us knowing that you win. Not just victory over evil, but you win as the righteous ruler of all times. The king of kings. There's none like you. Lord of lords. And we rejoice in that. Give us that hope this week that we need to persevere because of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I can't think of a better song to end this service with than joy unspeakable joy. Joy to the world with that little tag that I read at the end there. And so let's stand and sing that together. Let's uh, clap our hands if you want to. Let's lift up our voices and sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Harvest Bible Chapel in Cambridge, Ohio, check out our website at harvestcambridge.org or like us on Facebook at Harvest Cambridge. You are loved.